Today's Friday, July 12, 2019. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Outdoor recreation is booming in Pennsylvania with an annual economic impact in excess of $29 billion and an immeasurable impact on quality of life for many Pennsylvanians. More and more of us are getting outside to take advantage of the extraordinary recreational opportunities we enjoy here in the Commonwealth. But as with so many good things, access to these amenities is far from universal. Racial and socioeconomic disparities play a role in who gets to recreate and how. And outdoor recreation advocates, including PAC, are increasingly focused on issues of equity and inclusion. For people with disabilities, access can be even more limited. But resources are available to help those Pennsylvanians get out on the trail, on the water, on the slopes, or wherever they want to go, irrespective of the challenges they may have. One such resource is Dynamic Paddlers. It's a Pittsburgh-based concierge service specializing in what's known as adaptive kayaking. They provide special equipment customized to accommodate people with physical disabilities and also specialized instruction for those whose challenges may be cognitive or behavioral. Larry Joya is founder and principal instructor of Dynamic Paddlers, and he's our guest today on Pennsylvania Legacies. Larry, welcome. So glad to have you in the studio. Hey, thanks, Josh. Glad to be here. Tell me about adaptive paddling. What What is this concept? Where does it come from? What do you do? Yeah, so uh, adaptive paddling, uh, as its name really implies, is how do we get people of all abilities, truly all abilities, into kayaks, onto water, to enjoy water just as everybody else does. This notion of adaptive sports is nothing new. It's been around for, I wouldn't say decades, but it's been around for quite a long time uh, as it relates to how do we get people to enjoy the outdoors um, with the same freedom, same accessibility, same independence as everybody else, but there may be a few adaptations that may be required. And that could be, to in this case, to a seat for kayaking. That could be to a paddle for someone who may have a limb difference, whatever that might be, but not radically changing the nature of what we're actually doing, right? So... Adaptive sports, we think about the Paralympics uh, as the upper echelon of more adaptive sports. Uh, And there's more just recreational, getting people on the water is what we do here in Pittsburgh. And what we do at Dynamic Paddlers, I think we're going to have this conversation today, is about what is that kind of gateway into adaptive kayaking, just as you and I, Josh, as able-bodied paddlers may adapt our seat or put some more padding here and there. We're good to the same thing mm-hmm. for paddlers yeah. with disabilities. And in this case, an adaptive really has a context to people with physical disabilities. You know, individuals who may have a non-physical disability or hidden disability, something we can't see, may require some adaptation as well. And that may become by way of the teaching style or how we help somebody, you know, acclimate to a boat and paddle. Well, I'd like to get into some more details of the, the equipment that you use and how you specifically address these different uh, needs and accommodate people uh, who have various disabilities. But before we get to that, I'm interested in kind of your background, how you came to this sort of work. How did you get started in adaptive paddling? Yeah, sure. So uh, I don't have a background, full disclaimer, I don't have a background in recreational therapy or as a anyone who works uh, in the industry. I'm kind of an outsider, <laughs> as it were. An outsider in as much as someone maybe like you and maybe many of our listeners love the outdoors, uh, love sharing our interest in the outdoors. I also love teaching. <laughs> and so you started combining your passions and interests uh, with people who started coming to you and saying, hey, I'd love you to teach, teach me how to kayak or teach me to do this better, more efficiently, uh, get rid of my bad habits. That's where it started. I became uh, an instructor with the American Canoe Association. That then parlayed into you know doing this more as a side hustle kind of thing. I don't do this full time, mm-hmm. right? It's very seasonal here in Pittsburgh, and for those listening around the country, uh, we can't paddle year round. And so, 
what ended up happening is I had folks started to come to me and asking for lessons. Uh, and that was great. By pure happenstance as it relates to adaptive in this world of, of disability, uh, Josh, admittedly, uh, I will say five plus years ago, uh, I probably didn't know anybody or couldn't name p- people on one hand that I knew who had a disability that I knew of. <laughs> the long of the short story uh, goes is I was at the Chicago Boat Show teaching some lessons. And my job was very simple, which was to make sure the kids got on the water, had a good time, and they were safe doing it. And you know they just went on about their day. Well, lo and behold, that day, one of the young guys that got on the pool, got him in the boat. He was paddling around the pool, but he was kind of going back and forth a bit. And like any instructor, he wanted to go help this little guy. And so I paddled over to him uh, and uh, very quickly realized that he's paddling with one arm. And I was a bit in shock. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I was in, you know, you, you're in that moment where you're in shock. You don't want to say what to do. And at that moment, good job, buddy. <laughs> and, and he's doing this without the benefit of any special equipment or anything? Is, is he just paddling he, along with? He's paddling with essentially what is what I've come to know as now a residual limb, right? So he's, he has a, is a above elbow amputee. Okay. Um, and there's no, there's no equipment. He's just doing his thing the way he does it. And it, it looked awesome. It was great. And uh, that kid, all that to say is that kid really changed my perspective and got me thinking differently about what it means to be a paddler. Having no context for this world of adaptive sports got me thinking about, well, what does that mean for people of all abilities to truly paddle? Do you really have to have two arms to paddle? Do you have to have a hand to paddle? What I'd like to say is, if you can sit, you're halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) And do you anybody who can't sit? Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Yeah, yeah. So everybody can paddle is the long or the short. It just takes a little bit of maybe ingenuity uh, and some thinking differently. So that's a bit of the preamble to kind of what got me into this, then sparked my interest in now coming back to Pittsburgh, which I hope we'll talk about here. There's a lot happening here in Pittsburgh. I immersed myself in all the things happening in Pittsburgh and adaptive sports and wheelchair basketball and hand cycling and skiing. Uh, I started showing up to these things, showing up as the outsider who is this guy? What's he going to do? What's, he, what's his interests? My interests are truly just to learn. And through that learning process, this then opened my world to well, who's doing paddling. That's my thing. But I didn't know anything about adaptive, uh, about paddling specifically. Uh, there was a lot of interest in that. There was no infrastructure for it here in Pittsburgh. And uh, I went on to become a certified adaptive paddling instructor trainer over the course of the past few years. And I think the rest is history, which we'll talk more about here in a little bit. So. And that was through ACA? Through the American Canoe Association, yeah. So the ACA has uh, is the only program like it in the country. They have a certification for instructors to what is essentially an endorsement mm-hmm. uh, that takes you through what we call an adaptive paddling workshop. So it's a three-day, two-and-a-half-day intensive workshop that really gives you the primer for adaptive and outfitting. In this case, thinking about physical adaptations that you may have to build. This stuff doesn't sit on a shelf somewhere in some kind of retail store. You've got to make this stuff mm-hmm. uh, because everyone's unique. Everyone's dynamic so to speak. And it teaches you kind of the primer to how to make adaptations for a variety of situations. And that kind of became the catalyst for me to become an instructor trainer. There's 14 of us as of the recording of this podcast here in, in the world. I'm happy to be one of those. And, uh, and I take this around the country. And then we have folks come to Pittsburgh as well, which is pretty cool. I want to hear about this MacGyver thing you're doing. <laughs> what's, what's sort of the range of disabilities that, that you deal with? Yep. What do you need uh, equipment-wise? Let's start there. Yeah, so we'll start with the MacGyver. I like to call it like the longhand math version uh-huh. uh, in, in as much as – so look, let's, let's be honest that there, are, there is commercial equipment now available uh, on the market. It's a very small industry, and there's you know, one or if not maybe two companies who are making specifically uh, adaptive kayaking equipment, and we'll get there in a second. But not everybody either has access to that equipment or kind of garage-style adaptations. 
So the first question is around kind of, so, so what range of ability are we talking about? Admittedly, I can say in the past four and a half, five years of doing this, I have, have seen and worked with individuals with spinal cord injury, so SCI, in very high-level injury as well as low injury. I've worked with limb difference and thinking about amputees. You're thinking about some folks who may have traumatic brain injury, so which then affects limbs and grip and or seating and or balance. A lot of folks who have suffered from a stroke which changes not just their balance, but maybe depth perception, right? And just kind of that, that notion of being on water. It all comes down to adapting for loss of function, right? So there's everything from SCI, spinal cord injury, to I see a lot of stroke. I also then get into the non-physical disability side of things. I work with a lot of uh, individuals on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's a range there as well, as you can expect. And that's less physical adaptation, Josh, uh, and more of adapting the teaching style, Right. In terms of how someone learns, which I am by no means an expert, but I've learned a lot over the years on what works and doesn't work. But I will say that the magic of all of this is that every single person is unique, and you, you can't generalize in any of the, what we're trying to do here. SCI is not SCI. It impacts everybody differently. And that's the fun that I have out of this is that I approach every situation that we're, we may or may not have to adapt, um, but that's what makes us a lot of fun. And you're an instructor, like you figure out what's needed in terms of equipment and then sort of help the person through the process of learning with the goal that they'll be able to then do it somewhat independently in the future? Is that, that's that right. kind of the kind? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So the, our approach to this is it's not public programming, right? There's a time and a place for that. And I think there's some great, amazing organizations who are doing more public programming, I say inclusive for everybody. Uh, as it should be. The way I like to think about this is if we can work with an individual on a truly individual basis, hand over hand instruction, getting them comfortable with adaptations and and then getting them on the water in a very independent and I would say uh, comfortable manner, and then getting them moving the boat themselves, we can then help them gain that confidence that they can then go out with their friends, go out with their family, move into that public program. So along with the answer for, we serve as that bridge to independence, fitness, confidence, so they can go do this on their own. And what's nice is we actually have the equipment so that we don't have to make it every time. I do have some commercial equipment available, which is pretty nice, that we can do this fairly quickly. Once we meet a paddler for the first time, it's on the fly figuring things out together. I don't have all the answers. Uh, I know paddling. The, the individual knows their ability, uh, and together we figure it out. And that's what makes us a very collaborative uh, experience. A lot of PEC's work lately especially involves promoting inclusivity across a, a range of categories, but one of those obviously is disability. We work uh, largely in the trails space, uh, bike trails, hiking, and so on. But we also have – PEC has a history of working in water trails. We have this this wonderful statewide infrastructure of water trails and resources along these routes. How accessible are they, I guess, is the question. Yeah, so I, I think it's a fantastic idea, right? You know, as I was coming into this conversation, I began to think about, you know, the accessibility of the physical trails uh, that we walk, ride, run on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what is the accessibility of those trails? And you start looking at, well, the ramps that we have, either they're state-owned. You start looking at the, some of the private things or some of this, the public parks that we have. Here in PA, you've got, you know, I would say a good mix of, I'm air quotes for those who can't see, the accessible nature of getting down to the water. But then you have, you know, we've got one or two ADA accessible docks or ramps uh, here in the Pittsburgh region in this, in this corridor, which is fantastic. I think people just don't know about it. So I think they exist. The short answer is I think that these things exist, but it's getting the word out that they exist. I don't believe that marrying the, the point of entry with water trails has actually been done yet. 
And I think that's a, a great opportunity for not just PEC and other organizations uh, across the Commonwealth to promote accessible paddling, adaptive paddling, whatever it might be, to bring people either into your region as a point of attraction, because there's not that much. There's not that many of them. So I really haven't seen that happen yet. I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, let's follow up on that point a little bit. We often talk about the economic opportunity to be had from investing in outdoor recreation. Is this kind of a neglected market that could be tapped? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, And paddling, I think, is one of the tip of the spear, right? So let me answer this from the context of we think about, we look around the country, you look around the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania now, especially here as we sit in Pittsburgh, look out your window, you see yellow kayaks on the river every single day. You look at people who have kayaks on the roof every day. Why is that? Well, when you look at what's happened with the economy, otherwise people want to, maybe they don't want to pay greens fees, no knock on our golfing friends. They don't want to pay a membership to join somewhere, perhaps. They want something that's more approachable. Um, so I go, you know, the one time kind of sunk cost, no pun intended, uh, that was a horrible, <laughs> uh, of a a paddle and a life jacket. You spend the dollars on the equipment um, and the right equipment, and you can go wherever you want to go and get outside. So what I'm saying is, is I've seen this truly uptick in people spending dollars on recreation that doesn't require a membership. Kayaking is very, very much that, right? And so what you see is, is people getting outside more often and exploring and going places they wouldn't otherwise have gone. Now, pulling this full back to your question is around, is there an opportunity for maybe some towns and that otherwise may not have uh, you know, people coming to see them to uh, leverage adaptive or leverage accessible paddling as a, as a point of, of interest? Absolutely. Is there some booming business to be had there? I don't think so. It's such a niche thing, it's right. differentiated, uh, especially in the context when we look at what the DCNR is talking about and what PRPS is talking about across the Commonwealth when it comes to a pillar of diversity and inclusion. That's nothing new, but now we're seeing an, an increased focus on how do we, do we think about inclusivity, how do we think about accessibility in light of all the things happening under the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? Along with an answer for, I think there's a lot uh, that we can do as proponents of economic development, as service providers, to just bring this, uh, these kinds of things to our towns and to, to our river towns, as it were, and make them more approachable. And people outside of Pennsylvania as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a niche market, but when you're looking at a national scale, at a certain point, there's an economy of scale thing that kicks in, right? There's sort of an industry of tourism for people with disabilities. Yeah, and you know, we were, we were chatting a little bit before this conversation, Josh. And the example was this was last summer. Dynamic Paddlers is a small organization. We don't want to be this enterprise, and that's, kind of, that's by design. But the intent is to kind of be the feeder system into some larger organizations, right? So I got a call last summer. I can't recall the name of the organization. It was somewhere out west. And their entire mission is to organize and orchestrate tourism across the country for people with disabilities. I'm talking like a full-scale bus, 40-plus people, to take them around and help them explore the country and see new things. Uh, and essentially, they, they called up the paddlers and said, hey, we found you on the Internet. There's not many other organizations like yours. We see you do adaptive paddling. We're coming through southwestern Pennsylvania on our way to Philadelphia. We'd love to do a program with you. Mm-hmm. I said yes, but I thought about it. I'm like, how could I possibly accommodate that many people? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you have how many boats? Like, yeah, so Dynamic Paddlers, we, because of the nature, we're very focused on the individual. I have three adaptive kayaks. Now, could we you know, expand that with some collaborations we have here in the region across the Commonwealth? Absolutely. But that's good for us right now. Uh, it works really well. So I couldn't accommodate 40 people. But I say that in the context of those things exist and such a small I would say industry, great opportunity for some, uh, I would say, not just organizations, but maybe some community uh, organizations to you know, build some tourism opportunities. Absolutely. 
You alluded a moment ago, I think, to some work that you've been doing with the Pennsylvania Recreation and Parks Society uh, toward advocating for inclusivity in, in state and community parks. Can you talk a, a little bit about that work? Yeah, sure. So it's it's early stages. I, I'm just joining the committee. I was asked to join the committee as a result of I was invited to their annual conference in State College, PA. I presented a workshop on adaptive paddling. Go figure. It seemed to be very well received. And as we were talking about, part of the overall strategy as it relates to you know, DCNR and parks and recreation in totality across the country, but here in the Commonwealth, is around diversity and inclusion. Uh, as a part of that pillar or strategy, they have a subcommittee focused on, so how do we think about sharing best practices uh, for our parks professionals uh, in terms of attracting people to parks, in terms of not just infrastructure, but what can you actually do here? Right. So part of our remit on the committee, and again, very early stages, is how do we you know, better market and make things available or, or aware? Awareness is number one issue in all these things. You know, putting together some best practices around maybe as a service provider, as a, as a program developer, what do best practices actually look like when it comes to making infrastructure, playgrounds, or that may be accessible. PRPS had organized, this community has organized two community gatherings, one of which was most recently here in Pittsburgh, to just have a general kind of think tank discussion around what does it mean for accessibility? How do we define that? The next one will be held on the other side of the state in Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken, coming up, I believe, in the in the fall or the spring. And that's another one of the objectives is how do we organize that on the other side of the state right from some of the learnings we had here in Pennsylvania. So PRPS, uh, again, very I'm very much new to that organization, but I think one of them, like yours, who is a champion and advocate for thinking about accessible recreation and thinking about, obviously, paddling and taking advantage of the thousands of miles of waterways that we have here. So kind of early days still, but are there broad themes emerging in those conversations about what, you know, specifically the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources and others might do to uh, better serve people with disabilities? Yeah, so it's still very early days in as much as, you know, a lot of the conversation as we kind of the out with the old and with the new thinking for this new year has been largely via email. We haven't had a literal conversation yet, but I would say some of the themes that, that I think about, or at least what I'm thinking about bringing to the table it all comes back to, so where do we invest our dollars, right? Now, again, as the outsider, this is not the world that I live in every single day. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, we'd like to spend some money on uh, and making our, our trail accessible or an accessible parking lot or a dock, in this case of a paddling. But then do you have, and I'm not pushing the ACA by any means, but then do you have the equivalent training or equivalent volunteer base mm-hmm to actually take advantage of the infrastructure you put in place. It's one thing to go buy the equipment or the accessible playground and say you have it, but then do you have the the non-physical infrastructure around it? The programming. Thank you. That was the word I'm looking for. The programming to go around it. So there's, there's that piece is one theme. And then secondly, I think it's, it comes back to this awareness thing, right? As with anything that we do, we can have this amazing experience or amazing opportunity. Then are we marketing it in such a way that's like, come out and enjoy this park. Uh, do you realize that we have not just state parks? Uh, do you realize that we have all these amazing things at our disposal? And this is here for you. You're not just your tax dollars are paying mm-hmm. for this, but this is, this, is what, this is why we live in the state of Pennsylvania because we, we love being outside, right? Uh, one of the reasons anyways. So I think the marketing pieces of the theme is how do we make, make people aware that these things exist because they're hard to come by. The last piece of that too, Josh, I think is we can send out newsletters and ma- email distribution lists and all those kind of things. But are we actually reaching the people that need to be reached, as it were? Or uh, what I, one of the things I found here in Pittsburgh from my work in the adaptive sports community is there's so many pockets, very specific um, organizations or movements, as it were, that either parents don't know about, caregivers don't know about, 
and they only learn about them through word of mouth, which is fine. That's the world we live in now, or social media. So the third leg of that stool, I think, is thematically is how do we leverage the technology and outreach that we have through podcasts like this or social media to get the word out that these things actually exist? Because that's where these people are congregating and sharing best practices and sharing resources to make these things generally you know, in the public purview that we need people to know about them. Can you clue people into any like Facebook groups or, or organizations that might be a, a resource along those lines? Yeah. So, so there, there's a not even selfishly, but there's a, a Facebook group that I run here uh, in southwestern Pennsylvania called the Pittsburgh Adaptive Sports Network. I got to believe there's other ones like it. That whole consortium of a Facebook group, everyone's welcome, but literally it is service providers, it is parents, it is caregivers, it is individuals with disabilities. I'm looking for an opportunity to go skiing. I would like for my son or daughter to go bowling. I would like for, you know, whatever that might be. There are groups like that. That's what that group is intended to be. Admittedly, I suspect there are similar groups on the other side of the state as well. There's a group that I'm, I'm aware of. I think it's across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania called Amazing Parents. It's not even adaptive sports related, but essentially it is for parents and caregivers, largely with kids on the spectrum. I'm involved in that not as a parent with a son or daughter on the spectrum, more so than I want to see what they're talking about. Is there any movement amongst these sort of ad hoc local grassrootsy type <laughs> groups uh, toward building more of a statewide cohesive uh, network or, or at least having a broader conversation? So I think that's one of the greatest opportunities that we have here in the state of Pennsylvania. I think that they are very much in pockets. I wouldn't say right or wrong. Everyone wants to do their thing. You know, I like to use the saying is if we want to go fast, we go alone. If we want to go far, we go together. I'm sure you've heard that one as well. I think there's a great opportunity here to start pulling these things, being these grassroots organizations, the individuals like your organization together so that we can all provide better services and opportunities for people uh, across the Commonwealth. Absolutely. So the short answer is yes, I think we, we're, not, we're not taking advantage of that yet. And the question is, who does that? Yeah. <laughs> who needs to, who wants to take the, run the flag up the hill? I haven't seen anybody do that yet. I'd love to be a part of it. I don't know if I have the energy to do the whole I thing. I think you just volunteered. I think I just volunteered myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if people would like to learn more about Dynamic Paddlers specifically, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, sure. Our website is www.dynamicpaddlers.com. Our Facebook page, you can just find Dynamic Paddlers on Facebook. We're very active on there and then all our social media channels. Or very simply, you can just email us uh, at info, I-N-F-O, at dynamicpaddlers.com. I'm happy to talk more about adaptive paddling, specifically with us and or other organizations, right? Given that, as I mentioned from the beginning, Josh, we're very focused on the individual, as everybody is, but on the individual experience. And then I would say really kind of quarterbacking out to other organizations. And so part of my role, and I like to think of myself in this capacity as kind of being the the friend of all tribes <laughs> and kind of connecting and being kind of a source for getting people to where they need to be. And so if I can't provide it here in, in southwestern Pennsylvania, I'm going to help you find it on the other side of the state. So I'm happy to be that resource for people as well. And they can get a hold of me the same way. Well, Great. thanks for coming in. Thanks for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. That's Larry Joya of Dynamic Paddlers. Look for the links he mentioned just now in the show notes for this episode on the Peck website. You can find it along with all of our past episodes and, of course, much more on Peck's work across the Commonwealth in trails and recreation and watersheds, communities and landscapes, energy and climate and policy and so much more. That's all at PECPA.org. Likewise, on Twitter, we're at PECPA, P-E-C-P-A, and you can find the Pennsylvania Environmental Council on Facebook, too. We'll have another Pennsylvania Legacies podcast coming up in a couple of weeks. We release them on alternating Fridays. 
Hope you've enjoyed this one and hope you'll join us again for the next edition. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. And as always, thanks for listening. (laughs) 